3: you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com
2: slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, the latest Fox News poll out shows that 56% of Americans, Democrats and Republicans, say that Donald Trump is tearing this country apart. Fox News poll. What do you say, Hello, everybody. Last day of August, August 31, uh, 2017. Great to see you today. On a Thursday morning, it is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day, continuing uh, reports uh, and continuing suffering, human suffering, particularly in the Houston area, now also over in Louisiana, of course, and on the, you know, parallel. With uh, the horrible stories of people who have uh, lost their lives, lost their homes, lost their businesses, are just the incredible stories of the uh, rescue efforts there on the part of the Coast Guard, on the part of law enforcement, on the part of first responders, and on the part of just thousands and thousands of volunteers in the Houston area with their own boats uh, and just going out, finding people. Some people hanging in trees. The stories are just incredible. Uh, Everybody coming uh, together down there uh, in the best possible way, uh, in the true American spirit. We'll tell you what's going on, as we always do, and look forward to hearing from you at BP Show, your comments on the news of the day. From top to bottom, we jump right in. The news starts right here. But first... This is the full court press.
4: Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday morning. We begin. I want to hear it. Some big news in the fight against cancer. (laughs) That's right. U.S. health officials did approve yesterday a breakthrough treatment to fight childhood leukemia. Uh, A new drug has been released. uh, Well, not excuse me, not released to the public, but has been priced and will soon begin testing. Uh, This is a big deal. It's made from scratch for every patient. It's one of a wave of living drugs under development to fight additional blood cancers and other tumors to use gene therapy techniques not to fix those disease-causing genes but to turbocharge turbo the T-cells, which are also known as immune it's an system amazing soldiers.
2: It's an amazing development. And uh, in their tests so far, they've had like 95% remission. Just yeah. incredible. Yeah, so this could
4: be uh, big news uh, for the fight yeah. against cancer. Uh, to the news <laughs> from Amazon.com. Amazon.com has been hit with their first lawsuit on the solar eclipse glasses. Uh, you may remember oh, yeah. back yeah. on August 10th, Amazon emailed customers who bought the solar eclipse glasses. array. didn't you get Pe- that same email? Pe-
2: Peter got the email.
4: Peter Ray. got the email. Interestingly enough, this lawsuit came from the state of South Carolina.
2: Oh, whoa. Okay. It was not Peter
4: Ogburn who yeah. filed the proposed class action uh. lawsuit. It was a couple who claimed that those eclipse glasses did, in fact, damage their eyes, A couple said later in the day after viewing the eclipse with the glasses, they began to experience headaches and eye watering. And then a couple days later, vision impairment, blurriness, distorted vision. Uh, They want to get some money from Amazon for this. They said that they never received that email.
2: Uh, I want to tell you that the uh, uh, 10 pair of glasses that I bought from Amazon uh, were just fine. No problems at all with them. They were certified. They had the right number on them. Uh, even though we couldn't see a damn thing because of the fog, you never San got Fr- a chance to use them, and because of San Francisco, right.
4: I'd ask for your money back just based on that <laughs> alone. Uh, and finally, a new study uh, from Stanford University on the average age of fathers in the U.S. Fathers are getting older. Really, uh, it's huh. risen uh, to thirty point nine years <laughs> from twenty seven point four years back. You
2: mean like the first having your first baby? That's correct.
4: Yep, first yeah. first time father. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. risen about three years. Uh, since the last time the study was looked at back in 1972, the oldest fathers in the Northeast—that's where I'm from—while uh, the youngest in the South. Uh, the average age of fathers with college degrees is at 33.3 years old. Those with just a high school degree is 29.2.
2: Yeah, I think 29.30 is a prep what prep. I would consider. I got an old dad. Yeah. All right.
3: On your radio, on TV, and online, this
2: is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, friends and neighbors? Great to see you today. Hello, hello, hello on a Thursday, August 31, uh, end of summer here on the Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being part of us uh, as to be part, of the, part of the show as we reach out to you. From Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, that's where we're based, but that's not the only place we are. We are with you every every single nook and cranny of the United States of America on the radio, on television, online, whatever you can escape us. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Watch us on DirecTV, Free Speech TV, of course, and uh, listen and join in uh, the conversation on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of uh, Chicago and the whole Chicago area. Our studio in Capitol Hill, in the heart of the action normally, uh, but with the House and Senate out of session, has been pretty quiet uh, here in Washington, D.C., except for occasional occasional flare-ups down at the White House. But even most of Donald Trump's news has been made out of Washington. When he is on the road, Congress comes back next week. Hold on to your wallets. Remember, it's two-way street here. Uh, we don't want to uh, do all the talking. We don't want to uh, be the only ones expressing our views, our comments on the news of the day. I uh, want to hear from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Yes, the uh, I mentioned at the very top, it's a stunning new poll out today uh, from Fox News, Fox News poll. Okay, so forget about anybody saying this is a biased poll. Yeah, this is a poll that's just designed to make Donald Trump look bad. No, this is the. This is not CNN. This is not Huffington Post. Uh, this is not The Hill or Politico. This is Fox News. Their latest poll shows fifty-six percent of Americans, Republican and Democrat combined believe that Donald Trump is, quote, tearing this country apart. Yes, the divided states of America under Donald Trump. That is stunning. And, by the way, it also reflects reality. He is tearing this country apart. Uh, A man who won't even stand up and say the KKK is wrong or that anti-Semitic behavior and chants are wrong Uh, And uh, that's, uh, I think the American people clearly are starting to see that. Also, in this uh, Fox News poll, by the way, uh, 41% of Americans approve of the job Donald Trump is doing. Mm -hmm. So, not even, you know, again, (laughs) watch Fox, starting with Fox and Friends in the morning, the entire, and, and leading up to Sean Hannity in the evening, the entire network is designed to boost Donald Trump. To defend him, to make him look good, make him look like the greatest president ever, and not even Fox News could accomplish that. The best they could do is 56% of Americans, he is tearing this country apart. And they
4: didn't hide That's, it on the website. No. This was on TV, too. This yeah. was on TV for most of the day yesterday. By the way, in the, in this Fox News poll, which they've been doing for a couple of months now, uh, this is he's only, he's only been in the positive once, and that was back mm. in February. Mm-hmm. So it just keeps getting worse for him.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, so uh, if, if reflection of that poll, I guess.
4: By the way, that poll is on our Twitter now, at BP Show,
2: if you want to see the full All right, results. Cool. Thank you, Jamie. Yes, uh, most of the news, most of the focus still on the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Harvey. The sun came out uh, yesterday, uh, which was a huge relief to the people of Houston. But that doesn't mean it is over. This is far, far, far from uh, over. Uh, The numbers were really stunning. Uh, From uh, CBS News last night, 13,000 people were rescued by the Coast Guard uh, and by law enforcement uh, in the uh, Houston area. I mean, like pulled out of the waters, pulled out of their homes, put into boats. That doesn't count the people who were rescued by volunteers, citizen volunteers with their own boats. Thirty. Pardon me, 32,000 people uh, still in shelters in the Houston area. Uh, A couple of those shelters uh, we saw yesterday, the shelters themselves were flooded, so they had to take people out of those shelters and put them in uh, other shelters. 210,000 people so far in the Houston area have asked for national disaster assistance. 37,000 already have applied for federal flood insurance uh, under uh, the, the, the Federal Disaster uh, Act. Uh, there will be many, many thousands more. You can bet that. Uh, the uh, death toll so far as of this morning uh, is 37. That will, of course, continue to climb uh, as the waters go down and they find more victims. Uh, yesterday, it was the mayor, uh, Sylvester Turner of uh, Houston, who first of all recognized the heroic, incredible efforts on the part of first responders uh, in the Houston area, we've had police officers and firefighters jumping in the water, um, going in places not knowing what the danger would be, uh, working at night under the most treacherous circumstances and conditions. Um, and so we can never say thank you, thank you enough. The, the stories have, and, uh, have just been incredible. And the video, watching the video of these rescues, uh, uh, and Wes Lowry from the Washington Post has been covering a lot of the Uh, the the impact of uh, Hurricane Harvey in the Houston area. He's going to join us in the next half hour. Uh, We'll tell us more stories. But uh, the one I saw this morning was a doctor who was called to the hospital to operate on a 16-year-old kid, uh, emergency surgery. Uh, He starts out in his car. He can't get there. So the hospital calls firefighters and say, can you help get this doctor uh, to the hospital? The the, 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 The firefighters, he walks about a mile. The firefighters meet him in a canoe he They take him in a canoe as far as they could go, uh, and then to a pickup truck. Pickup truck goes for, as far as it can go. They get in another canoe, and then he gets still. He's a mile from the hospital, and he walks. This is the doctor. Walks the last mile to the hospital in waist-deep water in order to uh, do the surgery on the 16-year-old. It's just phenomenal stories that we hear uh, of, of, again, people... People showing their true true spirit, true grit. That that's what uh, makes America great. Together. That's no, literally what makes America great. You see that uh, the head of FEMA, Brock Long, who's been uh, really on the job down there, <laughs> Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Uh, saying that now the next challenge is once the waters recede, it's going to and this is going to take a long time. Imagine getting these people back; those who are lucky enough still to have a house, getting them back into their houses. Uh, with all the damage that's been done. Here he is, Director of FEMA.
4: As the water starts to receive, we got to go in, and this is where the volunteers need to be organized, is helping people muck out their houses, get the wet carpet, get the wet drywall out, make simple repairs to hopefully get people back in their house, you know, at a, at a very baseline level.
2: Yeah, uh, let, let me see. I can tell you, uh, my dad's house was uh, flooded uh, in Hurricane Sandy. In fact, lost that house in Hurricane Sandy. When the waters go down, it's just not that okay. The you know, water's there one day, and next day it's not. No, you've got a lot of mold, a lot of you know, floors no good anymore, drywall no good anymore. I mean, it's it's a horrendous problem uh, to 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 clean 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 that up. It's going to be very very time consuming and very expensive, uh, and uh, that's the uh, uh, that's the next focus uh, on the part of uh, federal agencies and state agencies down there. Meanwhile, um, miracle of miracles, uh, after he left Texas, somebody finally told Donald Trump, hey, remember, there are a lot of people suffering down there. There are a lot of victims of this hurricane. You never said beans about them when you were in Texas. All you did was just brag about the size of the crowd, wave the Texas flag, uh, or brag about the size of the hurricane. Maybe you ought to say something about the victims. Finally... Uh, see, here, here it is. This is a pattern, right? You get Donald Trump off on his own, winging it, and he says this crazy stuff. Uh, and then then the White House, John Kelly, I guess, chief of staff, they reel him in, they put him behind the teleprompter, they write his remarks, they put it on the teleprompter, and they tell him, read the damn teleprompter and don't ad lib. And that's how they finally get Donald Trump, 24 hours after leaving Texas, to finally say something about the victims
5: to the people of houston and across texas and louisiana we are here with you today we are with you tomorrow and we will be with you every single day after to restore recover and rebuild yes okay uh Oh, I, he finally
4: figured out there's actually people down there. It's yeah. not just a uh, you know the historic epic 500 uh, year flood that you know is just so, rushing through a city with no people.
2: Oh, there's actually people. Uh, so can we say better late than never? I guess you know uh, maybe, but it would have been nice if he had said that and recognized that when he was down there. And, and by the way, reporters and I talked to a couple of them who were with the president in the uh, uh, as part of the pool uh, in the motorcade um, said that um, he never came. Anywhere close seeing any devastation, any dist- damaged areas uh, in his trip to uh, Corpus Christi or to Austin? You know, the, were, were, the route that they took didn't show any damage at all.
4: By the way, so, Mike Pence goes down there today.
2: Uh, yeah, he right.
4: probably will meet with people. It probably uh, I think will. he will, but that doesn't matter. the The point is, is that Donald Trump is the president of the United States, and he did not properly do his job. In healing people who were actually affected by this storm, down when he was down in Texas,
2: right. And further, uh, so if that, those optics were uh, were uh, bad enough, uh, even worse yesterday that while um, so many people still suffering, and so many uh, and 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 so many people focused on dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, Donald Trump chose yesterday to go to Missouri to give another political rally. Hold another political rally, this time, ostensibly, to talk about tax reform. Now, notice Donald Trump talking about tax reform. Uh, First of all, he paints it as this populist measure where we're going to lower taxes. Here he is. Lower taxes for everybody.
5: We must. We have no choice. We must lower our taxes.
2: Yes. And, in fact... We want to help the average American. This is all about Main Street.
5: We're here today to launch our plans to bring back Main Street by reducing the crushing tax burden on our companies and on our workers.
2: Uh, Sounds good, doesn't it? But when you look at it, it is just the opposite of what he talks about. First of all, it's pretty clear right now from his remarks and from what we've heard from Steve Mnuchin and Gary Cohn. That when they talk about tax reform, what they're talking about are not is not tax reform, not an overall reform of the tax system, which we need, but they're talking about tax cuts. And then when you look at the tax cuts they're proposing, there's only one that Donald Trump talked about yesterday, one, and it doesn't help Main Street at all. Donald Trump's one proposed tax cut is to cut the corporate tax rate from which it is today, down to 15%. That's what Donald Trump wants. On the theory... So this is not Main Street. This is Wall Street, baby. This is all about Wall Street. He's doing this on the theory that if you cut taxes on the big corporations, everybody's going to benefit. It's trickled down. It is crap. We've tried it. It doesn't work. The idea... You, you cut taxes on Chrysler, on Ford, on Bank of America, on Goldman Sachs, and you name it, GE, then all of us are going to benefit because all that money is going to trickle down. No, nope. no, no way. By I, the
4: way, yesterday, MSNBC, during this speech, had a chyron on the, on the lower third there uh, that says Trump praises <laughs> Reagan-era tax reform, in parentheses, <laughs> once called it a disaster that ruined economy. And that's true. Back in 1991, when he was just real estate developer Donald Trump, he said, quote, "This tax act was just an absolute catastrophe for the country, for the real estate industry." And in 1999 in an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, Trump said, "One of the worst ideas in recent history."
2: Yeah. And now he's alien. And now he's out there promoting it. Now, you know, there's such there's so much wrong with what Donald Trump has. Number one, first of all, He says we have to cut these corporate taxes because it's hurting American businesses. Okay, why is it then, why is it that if this 35% rate is so onerous and so burdensome and stifling competition, why is it that American corporations are now reporting the highest corporate profits ever? I mean, the facts just contradict everything Donald Trump has said. We are experiencing the high, American corporations, the biggest profits ever in history, colossal. And most of that, of course, is going to the uh, the, the after-tax after profits, if they pay taxes, uh, to the corporations, to the shareholders, not to the American people. But at any rate, th- th- there's no way that this corporate tax rate is hurting American corporations. And part of the reason is because they're not paying 35%. Uh, Forbes had a great article out yesterday I saw online about the rate that corporations actually do pay. Uh, back in 2009, General Electric, GE, $10.3 billion in profits pre-taxes. What did they pay that year? Zero. Zero. They all, they, they, you know, they've got the most expensive attorneys that they can, or the best attorneys they can afford, uh, and they can buy the best and they play all these games with the tax code to avoid paying any taxes. Uh, In 2010, Bank of America paid zero in federal taxes. Ford paid, uh, let me here's some others. Hewlett-Packard, remember, 35% is the rate, okay? Bank of America, zero. Uh, Hewlett-Packard, 18.6%. Verizon, 10.5%. Ford Motor Company, 2.3%. The average tax paid by American corporations is 12.6%. Okay, so lowering the tax rate from 35 to 15% doesn't even get down to what corporations are in fact paying today. It is all smoke and mirrors. It is all BS. It is all nonsense. And it is classic Donald Trump. Yeah, we're going to help The wealthiest people on Wall Street get another tax break, or let's put it this way. While we see these thousands and thousands and thousands of middle-class Americans out of their homes, lost their homes, lost their businesses in Houston, Donald Trump is out in Missouri uh, promoting a new tax break for the wealthiest of Americans. The optics of that are so bad. In fact, don't take it from me, Ann Coulter, conservative commentator- (laughs) Ann Coulter tweeted out yesterday that this was the most tone-deaf speech that Donald Trump has ever given. Jeb Bush, she said, had better ideas than Donald Trump. Yes. Please clap. Please clap.
4: When you've lost Ann Coulter, uh, might as well throw in the towel.
2: I mean, yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, even she sees through this. Who could finally do it? Of course, there's one other aspect of the uh, president's remarks yesterday. Uh, He couldn't resist. He couldn't resist saying, okay, warning Congress. This is what I want, and you had better not disappoint me, you Republicans, like you did on Obamacare.
5: I am fully committed to working with Congress to get this job done, and I don't want to be disappointed by Congress. Do you understand me? Oh, no. Mm -mm. you understand? Oh, yeah.
2: You get it? And in fact, one particular senator, and I said yesterday, I predicted this is what he was going to do. He goes to Missouri, and of course, he's got Roy Blunt, Republican senator, flying with him on Air Force One, but he's got to lash out at Democrat
5: Claire McCaskill. And your senator, Claire McCaskill, she must do this for you, and if she doesn't do it for you, you have to vote her out of office.
2: Uh, Not surprising, maybe, coming from Donald Trump, but it did raise a couple of questions, uh, which uh, are uh, part of a big article on Politico this morning, Uh, and that is some legal questions. So this is the president of the United States on an official presidential visit on Air Force One to talk about policy, and he uses that speech to go out and attack a Democratic senator and ask people to throw her out of office. Uh, are we taxpayers supposed to pay for that? No. No. If it's a political trip, the Republican National Committee has to pay, not American taxpayers. That's been the rule under every president, Republican and Democrat. So people are raising the question that Donald Trump White House may have, <laughs> what's new, once again violated the law here. Uh, and the other issue is that Donald Trump is free... He's not covered by what's called the Hatch Act, which means that if you work for the federal government, you cannot be involved in partisan politics. President's not covered by that, never has been, never should be. But the people in the White House who work on his staff are. uh, And again, according to Politico, if, and there there are people who are looking into this right now, if there were White House aides who wrote that speech for Donald Trump, if he was ad-libbing, that's one thing. But if that was in his prepared remarks, then whoever wrote that speech violated the Hatch Act by turning a policy speech into a political speech. So he could be in some hot water uh, on that front as as well. But the main thing is the policy sucks. The policy doesn't make any make any sense at all. Again, if you think that cutting taxes one more time on the wealthiest of Americans is going to help middle class Americans, average Americans, yeah, then I got a bridge I want to sell you.
4: For what it's worth, I, would, I do want to add this, this one thing. The Democrats did release their own ideas on tax reform this month. Chuck Schumer, obviously, yeah. putting that together. There were three Democratic senators who did not sign that letter. Claire McCaskill was not one of them. It was Joe Manchin, Joe, Don, Joe Donnelly, and uh, Heidi Heitkamp.
2: Who did not go along with the Democratic Right, plans. and they're
4: moderates, and they're yeah. obviously uh, But again, Donald Trump does
2: not have a tax reform plan. That's what they call it. It's not. His plan is tax cuts. And his plan is tax cuts for big corporations. that's all that they've those all. are the
4: only details that we got that's yesterday the, all and those they, weren't really
2: details no all that they've proposed so far that's their one policy um, so uh, and um, see more about that uh, uh, a couple of the little uh, bits of news uh, quickly here before we wrap up this uh, first half hour uh, interesting on North Korea yesterday uh, Donald Trump tweeting out or this is again. And the last week, Donald Trump says, "You know what's happening now? North Korea is respecting us now because I've been talking tough." Yeah, after he said that, they fired off four. Since then, they fired off four more missiles, including that last one that uh, flew over Japan before it crashed into the Pacific. Uh, at which point, Donald Trump tweeted out yesterday, "Talking is not the answer. We got to get tough on North Korea." Sort of hinting that a military response was the answer. Uh, What does the Secretary of Defense say about that? Again, he doesn't say, you're the Commander-in-Chief. Yes, indeed. Yes, sir. That's what we'll do. Uh, uh, Once again, mad dog Jim Mattis uh, disagrees publicly with the President of the United States. Here he is meeting with the South Korean Foreign Defense Minister yesterday at the Pentagon.
1: No, we're never out of diplomatic solutions. We continue to work together,
3: and the minister and I share a responsibility Provide for the protection of our nations, our populations, and our interests.
2: Uh, just stunning! It's amazing. It is. It's just. This is not the first time Jim Mattis has spoken out. But so Sunday, it was Rex Tillerson who was saying, "Now, basically, I don't agree with Donald Trump." Uh, or, or, you know, all Americans have fundamental values that have that still remain, and that, that the world looks to us, uh, looks up to us for. And Chris Wallace from Fox News says, do you include the president in this group? And he said, no, the president speaks for himself. Tillerson, publicly disassociating himself from President Trump and Jim Mattis as well. Uh, we've never seen that before. But these cabinet members are saying, I can't agree with my president.
4: Well, you know what's amazing about this? And this is interesting Trump, to think about down I mean, the line. It's got
2: to piss Trump off.
4: Sure. But uh, he's a general. Jim Mattis is a general. Yes. Uh You you can't really count General Michael Flynn here, but there's really been no generals that have been pushed out of the White House yet. And given Trump's love of military history and love of Mad Dog Mattis, he might be able to survive this. And Trump may be very reluctant to push the button on someone like
2: him. Right. Uh, And one final note. um, It is um, Ivanka about Ivanka Trump. This is a woman. This is a person who's going to be the balance in the White House, who's going to calm things down, who's going to keep... Rein in her daddy, and who was going to be the champion, particularly of women's rights? Uh, yesterday, uh, you know, there was a policy under the Obama administration uh, that would require the uh, e- Empl- Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to collect wage and pay data from employers to make sure that they were paying women the same wages for the same job that men are doing. I mean, how could you disagree with that? This is another a policy that Donald Trump has decided to roll back, to reverse, uh, to not require companies to reveal how much they pay men and how much they pay women. And yesterday, Ivanka Trump came out and said she supports this effort by her father, even though she is was supposed to be the person to champion women's rights in the White House. Just like she was supposed to be the person to champion uh, LGBTQ rights, and of course she supported his supports his ban on transgender Americans. Oh, don't, don't, forget don't forget the climate agreement.
4: Don't forget the climate agreement. And then agreement. the
2: climate agreement. There's another mm-hmm. one, right? So Ivanka Trump, a great big phony, just like her old man. Wes Lowry joins us from the Washington Post. Before we go there, uh, Jamie, we have a quick update on uh, our buddy right. Peter Ogburn. Yes. You were there yesterday. I wasn't able to get out to see him.
4: Yes. Uh, Ray and I actually went to the hospital yesterday. Um, Peter was sitting up in a chair, which Whoa, is huge. That's, yeah. that's uh, three days after surgery. Uh, and shortly after we left, he was moved out of the ICU to general population of the hospital. So he's got a that's just a great, regular old hospital great. bed. Uh, and I don't want to make any predictions, but it could be just a week until he starts rehab. Um which means he's he's definitely on the road to recovery. He was uh, really conversational with Ray and I. Uh, we kept him updated on some of the news. Uh, we let him know
2: and all he those wonderful really, tweets that, yeah.
4: that you guys sent yesterday. Keep those tweets coming, by the way. Get get the well wishes, keep coming. I know you guys miss Peter, and uh, Peter did say he misses you too.
2: You know how to do so. Uh, just do it uh, on uh, to uh, at BP Show. Send your comments uh, to Peter Ogburn. He loved hearing from you yesterday. Find out more about uh, Houston and about uh, what Jeff Sessions is up to. Lots of stuff to talk about with Wes Lowry from the Washington Post coming up next.
5: I don't want to be disappointed by Congress. Do you understand me? Do you understand? Download our podcast, search
3: for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show,
2: all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we are on this Thursday, August 31, rolling right along with The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today as we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Uh, They are on the front lines every day. They've certainly been on the front lines down in the Houston area throughout the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program under the leadership of President Harold Uh And you can check out their good work at their website, IAFF.org. Yes, um, Americans, tax relief is coming. Donald Trump, he promised, he's going to lower everybody's taxes. Uh, no, not everybody's taxes, but uh, if you happen to be uh, a big corporation, uh, you got a big tax cut coming from uh, Donald Trump. Your comments on Donald Trump's so-called tax reform. Jamie?
4: Yes, on Twitter at BP Show, Jess and Matt Makes Five say, because it's not just about profit, it's about expansion, innovation, and new businesses opening. David Conti says, any statement, statistic, or even joke told by Donald Trump is probably based on a lie. It's that simple. Uh, Keep those comments coming at BP Show on Twitter. And we see some more well wishes from Peter coming in, so keep those coming as well.
2: And we've been talking about the incredible response on the part of first responders and also on the part of just thousands and thousands of individuals down the Houston area, uh, sort of in charge of the Washington Post coverage of uh, Hurricane Harvey. Uh, Wes Lowry, our good friend, national reporter, in studio with us. Hi, Wes. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. The the, the stories down there are just incredible. You see people in in their own little boat, you know, going around, hollering out, Rescue, whatever, and if you find people hanging in trees, on top of roofs, on balconies, the second-story windows. Of course, when I was talking, I've talked to a few sheriff's departments and, and kind of emergency
0: management, and not just Harris County, Houston, but also the kind of rural counties that are south and even in north of Houston as well. And, and some of these sheriff's departments, they've got lines of people in boats showing up, just waiting outside the sheriff's department. Oh. For every time they need a, they get know, a call, huh? Yeah, exactly. And, and so and so you have it. It's the uh, they're calling themselves the Redneck Navy, basically, right? <laughs> and, it's and so it's and every guy who's got a boat is showing yeah. up down at the emergency rescue spot and saying, "Where do you need me to go? Let's go pick some people up." And so it's been it's been remarkable. Those I mean those images have been, uh, you know, in broadcast we've, we've been seeing those, mm. but it also but it also it speaks to the the extent uh, of this, right? That that here we, we've got the National Guards down there, the state and in county emergency management, and they still need basically volunteers to do this because there are so many people who were initially stranded and s- there was so much flooding,
2: right? They could not handle... The, no, oh, they, they, they could not. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, even with the Coast Guard helicopters and National Guard, all of that. They, they, they,
0: they needed folks. And even, even now, when I'm talking... Mean, yesterday still, I talked to some yeah. people and they were saying, look, our biggest need is manpower. We don't have enough boats. We don't have enough people to run them. If you got them... Please keep showing up is what is what they've been saying to people because there's just so much of the area is impassable still, right? Uh, that that it's just you know anyone who can who's got
2: a boat. <laughs> the one image I'll never forget uh, I'm, I'm, I talked about a little bit yesterday is I saw this video of all these people. There are about I don't know thirty people or so, and they were standing in waist deep waist deep water, and they were just standing there like in the middle of the street. And I said, "What are they doing?" And, I, and, and it turns out they were the volunteers who were waiting. So when the boats came in with victims, they would carry them off of the boat off the boat to the shelter. Yeah i mean it was like it, incredible and they were all there that's that was their mission and they volunteered for that it was incredible of course it
0: was almost yeah. like a production line you know, yeah no well, and especially at the very beginning there was questions and they were rescuing people and because they didn't have all the shelters set up yet there were cases where they would rescue folks and they didn't have anywhere to take them so they'd get you out of the tree or out of your house and they'd go all right we're gonna drop you at that cvs for an hour we'll come back oh, yeah because they didn't actually have you know so they would get you to a place that was not flooded and then leave, because yeah. what, what else were they going to do?
2: Of course, they couldn't take him to Joel Oste- Osteen's, <laughs> Osteen's uh, church. No, at least not do, in the beginning. Do not, do no, no, no drop-offs no. there, right? No, no, no. <laughs> we don't want our pews to get dirty. <laughs> well, no one asks, you
4: know. No one asks. That's
2: true. Right? Yeah, may,
0: maybe they should have. They should have called him or something. I guess, you know. If, yeah. they, who, why didn't they call
2: Joe? Boy, he would have done it. And then yesterday with that. Grin of his, you know, he's all on television saying, "Oh, what a wonderful job we're of doing!" Course. Yeah, they were forced into it. He was well, shamed he into was it.
0: Well, you know what? You, you know, I figured it out. It was Peter's job. Peter was supposed to be the one calling oh, Joel, and that's oh, what it was. I, 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 <laughs> that's right. <Yeah.
2: laughs> no, we, can, we can blame everything on Peter. <laughs> exactly. The next month or so. I I'm guess, gonna, you
0: maybe. know, I'm going to text him when I get <laughs> out. And...
2: I'm curious about, uh, you know, you've got. A, I've been reading your stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a slew of reporters down there. How can they get around? Did they rent boats or? I don't know that we've got anyone who's rented a boat, although
0: they've been kind of embedding in either these rescue missions very often. We get a few folks, depending on where they can't are.
2: Just, no, you can't just drive. Can't just drive around. Because no, no.
0: in a lot of cases, you've got you know, roads are still impassable. Even when the flooding is gone, in some cases, the roads are destroyed, or there's the there trees down across them. Or you know, I was talking to, uh, to an official in one county, and what he said was, he goes, they still had 60 roads underwater but of the roads that were not underwater 75% of them were still completely impassable right mm, and so mm. th- this idea that even once some of the water was gone it didn't mean you could get around so you get a lot of a lot of folks who were hitching rides in boats walking around is a little easier sometimes than mm-hmm. driving around mm-hmm. but in a massive county <laughs> that means you know you, you could spend all day and get a few miles and, and it's
2: not just the downtown Houston
0: area right? no not it at is. all it's the full region i mean you're talking about most of you know you know what is like south Southeast Texas on the Gulf Coast, there you, you just got miles and miles and miles, and in fact, some of those areas those on the were, Gulf are even are even worse because there's rural
2: communities where yes, well,
0: yeah. and, and and especially the ones that are right on the water that are smaller, a lot of you know some some trailer and mobile homes decimated in some cases. Rescue workers haven't even been able to get to some of those spaces yet. It's still been four or five days. You
2: know? it, it, right, and it's only four or five days, so maybe it's too soon for this. But are there any kind of big lessons you think to That are going to be drawn from Harvey. I mean, this is, as you and I talked a little bit off the air, the third 500-year storm, so-called, in three years. Of course. You know, I think there are two or three things. And we were also talking about how, you know,
0: Harvey, Houston has been known as a place with not a ton of zoning. And, and some rapid fire, Anything wild goes. west con- yeah, construction right. and development. I think there's <laughs> certainly going to be some grappling with that. Uh, but beyond that, I think that you know whether or not you know sometimes folks politically don't like to acknowledge that perhaps climate change is playing a role here. I do think that when you've had three, 500-year storms in three years, you gotta start having a conversation about, well, whether we believe this is man-made climate change or not, clearly there is something going on in terms of these extreme weather events and perhaps we should be more prepared for it. I think the other thing too, and we were mentioning this as well, We see, we had a whole great conversation before that we're we're now gonna rehab. I think that we, I think there's gonna be a real conversation about flood insurance as well. So few, I I think it's almost 80% of the people in the affected areas do not have flood insurance, right? I think it's going to raise a real question in Houston and a lot of these other southern and other cities below sea level about, you know, what's going on here uh, because it's going to be
2: so costly and there are a lot of people who have probably lost almost everything in this flood. Absolutely. Um, And um, the uh, Talking Points memo this morning is reporting, uh, well, I was going to say, the other The other thing this is going to lead to is a real crunch in the United States Congress to pay for the relief here. Yes. We know that all but one, there was only one Republican in Congress from Texas Texas, who voted for Sandy relief. All the rest voted against it, including Ted Cruz and John (laughs) Cornyn. So now it comes up again. Uh, And at a time when Donald Trump is saying, I want billions of dollars for my wall— Suddenly they're going to have to deal with – it's going to be multi-billions of dollars for for, for Harvey. Yes, very likely more exp- – I mean almost almost guaranteed to be more expensive than uh, Sandy. Right, and these are people who are against any disaster relief. In fact, they they had planned to cut the disaster relief fund. To build the wall. To build the <laughs> wall, right. So now it's going to be really between a rock and a hard place on the part of Republicans in Congress.
0: I think so too. And you know, one of the talking points um, has been, well sh- – I didn't vote against Sandy Relief. There was yeah. all this pork in this. It wasn't really. Mm-hmm. It was for NASA. There was NASA money in there. There was
2: Smithsonian. Yeah, Preparing a Smithsonian.
0: The, the um, but the but. uh, what my colleague, uh, the fact checkers, and Glenn Kessler uh, did a piece yesterday, maybe two days ago. He does
2: great stuff, by the it,
0: way. It's excellent, right? You know, and just very even keeled, walking oh, through yeah. it. What do you need to facts. know? What you Here are don't. The facts. And what he said was, yeah, there was money for the Smithsonian and, and and NASA in there because they had had water damage that, in fact, all of those things were, oh, <laughs> like disaster, related. Or, were yeah. related to the storm. Yeah. It was a massive storm that swept across the United States. And sure, if a Smithsonian gets roof damage, that's the type of thing that you might package in. A disaster relief bill, and so uh, yes, if NASA does have damage somewhere that's due to this rain or this water that maybe that should be packaged in with the relief going to New Jersey and Pennsylvania and New York, and so it's going to be really interesting to see how kind of politically that's navigated once Congress comes back and begins having these conversations uh, because th- this unquestionably they, they're going to need to pass some type of relief bill and and it's going
2: to put like I said some of these Republicans in a tough spot, yeah indeed um. Wes Lowry with us again from the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. dot com. So um, I want to uh, shift gears here just a little bit because we first got to know each other um, uh, in the aftermath of Ferguson, where you were famously arrested in the uh, <laughs> McDonald's restaurant there. But you know, and so, Ryan Riley, and Ryan yeah, Riley, so yes, and Ryan right. Riley, Huffington Post. Um, so you know, we still consider police community relations part of your beat. Yes. Uh, I don't know that going, I'll ever escape that part of my... <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Um, and now we see that it took President Obama a long time to pick that up as an issue um, mm-hmm. and pay any attention to it. But when he did, uh, he did, I think, a couple of really... At least two really good, 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 good... Made two really good moves. One was to get police departments working with the Justice Department to come up with some new guidelines for racial profiling for the whole... Uh, look into that whole aspect of police-community relations, and uh, the 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 second was um, pro- prohibiting the Pentagon from selling uh, tanks and mili- heavy military equipment, surplus equipment to local police forces. Jeff Sessions reversing both of those. What's the impact? Of course, I mean
0: it's you know some of it's a clear messaging, uh, you, you know, a signal being sent from Washington D.C. Right? Because what was interesting, even mm-hmm. under the Obama. Um, restrictions and guidelines they'd put in place. A police department could, in fact, still ask the Department of Justice for a tank or a bayonet or whatever, like whatever the. But they'd have to t- tell
2: why they. Correct. Needed there it, were right.
0: there were these specific you know and and so it wasn't an outright ban although it what it, it was kind of turning the faucet off right yeah. and, and I think that's an important distinction if only because you know so, sometimes you have police groups that say well why would you just you know maybe we do need this. Obama had still allowed for a mechanism if a police department it. could show that they needed this thing. Yeah. However, it was no longer a garage sale grab bag. Hey, what do you guys yeah. want? I mean, I'll i I'll never forget uh, one of the hearings that was held after, and this was not long after Ferguson, and, and Rand Paul was grilling these guys at the Department of Justice about these Handed out and he goes, all right, you gave them how many of these rats, and how many of these? And he goes, well, here in the instructions, it says specifically don't use this for riot control. So this is so you gave them this to use these for riots. right?" And then and then there was another he's reading through the report and and he's reading about all of the, the bayonets. <laughs> that had been given out yes. and he goes at 20 at the time it's 2014 2015 what was it what would the use that a police department <laughs> might need for a hundred bayonets and Bayonet. yeah. you know or whatever and it was this you know it's so there's a real but, I, but again i think a lot of this is and this is the tension between the obama administration and the trump administration right obama uh, president obama eric holer lynch uh, vanita gupta who ran the civil rights division of the department of justice they all of them had pretty solid relationships with police chiefs, with police think tanks, with some of the kind of thinkers in policing, Mm -hmm. reform-oriented folks who say, look, we've got a reputation, we've got to do better, we do need to get better best practices, we do need to be looking at data and doing smart decisions. However, President Obama did not um, have the support of kind of rank and file police officers, right? right. These were folks largely who, who didn't like any bristled any criticism didn't like this idea that he was out here talking about maybe that that guy shouldn't have been killed in the street or maybe yeah. Donald Trump is almost the, is, is the complete opposite of this in many ways. He has courted the rank and file he, he will he goes out Jeff Sessions was just speaking at the FOP convention Monday.
2: Right, uh, people missed it, where made, he announced where, this um, exactly. military equipment policy. And, and
0: and this is where what this administration has courted, the rank and file. They, they don't care about all the, the think tank policing people and whether or not the chiefs like them. Mm. They're yeah. saying, police officers out there in America, we got your back, you're under fire, you're being attacked, we got you. And so it's the politics of it, I think, are really interesting.
2: Oh, oh no, in, in, indeed. But it does set – in terms of community relations, right, it sets – sets things back. Jamie, is this uh, Jeff Sessions?
5: Yep. These restrictions that had been opposed went too far. We will not put superficial concerns above public safety. We will do our best to get you what you need.
2: Yeah, and of course they wildly applauded it. Of course,
0: and again, I think it's important to note these were not out and out bans on this equipment. You know, departments could still get a hold of it if they could prove they needed it. And but again, it's about this messaging more. Obama cared about superficial restraints, right? It's this idea that Obama cared too much about the politics of this. When in reality, I think you know most most people but understand it, 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 why you the,
2: might not want tanks. For being a given while, at least, request. there was a feeling. Uh, at least I felt. I know a lot of people, Americans did mm. that. That uh, of, of hope that we were crossing the divide here. I mean. Baltimore adopts some new policies. Mm -hmm. Um, Ferguson did. Chicago, right? And they were on the road. uh, And then suddenly, all of that just reversed. I mean, Jeff Sessions saying, in effect... Even if you've already adopted some new best practices,
0: you can... Yeah, when well, he ordered a review of all... You know, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States has publicly over and over again cast a doubt on Department of Justice investigations He, uh, with regard to the Chicago investigation, which he later admitted he had not read, but he said yeah, it was all yeah. anecdotal. I don't... You know, and then I think <laughs> it might have been Ryan Riley or who asked him at a press conference, wait, so have you read it, though? Well, yeah. no. Uh, well, the... You know, it's it's remarkable, though. It's a lesson in many ways. And it speaks, unfortunately, to how we are governing currently in a world in which almost all government decisions are made by executives. Right. The attorney general, not legislation being passed not a consensus no. of no. the deliberative bodies. No. No. When it's President Obama making individual decisions, it means it can all be undone immediately. Because none of it's binding legislation. It wasn't that Congress passed a stop racial profiling bill or uh, passed new, you you know, controls or guards over policing. No, that's an excellent point, It was the Department of Justice was instructed to do these things, which means the Mm next attorney general can say, never mind, let's reverse it. And that's what we're seeing.
2: Now, dare I suggest that there's a, um, you know, uh, a certain contradiction to within the Trump administration where you have this man president, who uh, sells himself as the law and order president and appears in front of groups of police officers. And then he turns around and pardons Joe Arpaio.
0: well, but it's this Uh, idea. I mean,
2: Uh, 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 (laughs) convicted of violating... Because the federal federal contempt of court because he refused to stop racially profiling people. Right. You know, or attacks the number one law enforcement officer of the United States, Jeff Sessions, and it, says, I wish I'd never appointed him.
0: Of course. Exactly. So, right? It's just a very. But but again, it's it's a strange it's a strange contradiction where it's, it's never really been about, you know, they they want to clothe this rhetoric in about public safety and we and this is what we, can, yeah. we care about crime is and and I and look and I don't question someone like Jeff Sessions does care about public safety of course these guys and Trump, Donald Trump does as well however it's not about this crossing the t's and dotting the i's public you know it, law and order right it, Jeff Sessions who wants us to be stricter on our sentencing for low level drug crime right because we got to get these create a deal with these criminals. I don't remember. I actually think the Department of Justice has consistently declined to comment on the fact that Joe Arpaio, convicted, is now you know getting himself you know getting himself helped out via this pardon by the President of the United yeah, States. Yeah, won't serve a day. No, no not at all. And, and, and granted, another thing about Arpaio though is. He very likely wasn't going to serve a day anyway, right? He hadn't been sentenced yet, yes, But there was a very right. good chance that he was going to get a you know two year suspended sentence, probation, or so. You know, this was he wasn't necessarily getting getting thrown away for right. for years to begin right. with. And yeah. and I think sometimes you know because I think people like to frame this as oh well Trump got his basically eighty year old friend out of the out of the slammer. Well, I, I don't actually you know Joe Apio probably wasn't actually going to jail to begin with. So the message that you send in that type of case that we're still going to pardon him, even though nothing might happen to him, I do think there's a message
2: there. Right. Again, uh, Wes Lowry with us from The Washington Post. Your beat is so broad. I mean, man, you are in so many different areas. Again, um, uh, switching gears here because it's so important if you've been looking uh, at the opioid crisis, particularly this fentanyl, right?
0: Yes, and so I, I worked on a project, uh, you know, kind of short—not like. A so tell us project.
2: what fentanyl is first. Yeah,
0: of all. so so fentanyl is a synthetic, a man-made drug, an op- an opioid, basically, right? And and it initially is an end of life on uh, cancer mm-hmm. drug. Um, it was in to
2: relieve pain, but yeah,
0: relieve pain at, at the very end stages of serious illness, right? Um, but over time, it's starting to be given out by pain management doctors as well in small doses. And now, now fentanyl is—I might get the denominators wrong. I want to say fifty times stronger than morphine, fifty times stronger than heroin. Ooh. I mean, like you're talking about a Whoa. major. I mean. Um, One of the strongest, it and its derivatives, among the strongest drugs we have in terms of pain relief.
2: Is it out there now? Yes,
0: all over the place, right? And so what we found is that uh, we want to look specifically at the rise of this drug. The opioid crisis in this conversation, we've had a lot of conversation about pill popping, um, Oxycontin, those types of drugs. Heroin, people who get hooked on the prescription drugs realize heroin gives them the same feeling and is cheaper, so they switch over to heroin in a lot of cases. Um, What that did was it drove the quality of the heroin on the streets up higher, right? So you had all of a sudden this flood of new people in the heroin markets, and what it did is it increased the quality of the heroin, right? This is basically a a capitalistic market. You've got more people willing to spend more money, which means you don't— For better. For for better. And so you got to up the quality of your prices, so people want to buy yours instead of that other guy's. What that meant was the heroin got pushed so high up— that folks who were using it eventually could no longer even get a high off of heroin, needed something stronger, and they started cutting fentanyl, this high-level drug, into it. So now, wow. in some cases in Philadelphia, <laughs> um, where we base the story out of, you know, some of the folks who work in the neighborhood, some of the hardest hit neighborhoods there said, basically, when you go out to buy, and you're buying dope uh, today, some, very often you're just getting a bag of pure fentanyl. You might not even be buying heroin anymore. It's just this this drug because it's so strong. it is very hard to avoid overdosing on. It's one Mm. of the drivers of, as you see, these opioid uh, overdoses are just going through the roof and and getting bigger more and more. Last year, through the roof, it's going to be worse when we get end-of-year numbers 2017, and a lot of it is this fentanyl, because, again, this drug is so strong. Who are these?
2: Are these young people? What's... What's what fat? are you finding?
0: So my colleague uh, Joel Ackerman. I
2: how do and how do they
0: afford it? Well, so so again because it, because the market's so flooded, it's relatively cheap, and uh, fentanyl is also cheaper in some cases oh, than heroin because awful. it's man-made. Yeah, Ugh. that is awful. And and then beyond that, the uh, but it's everybody. The head of the DEA was telling one of my colleagues, Joel. That it cuts across every demographic. You've got people driving from the suburbs to buy this stuff. You've got black people, white people, Hispanic people. you know, that it that really and that's one of the reasons we did this story in Philadelphia, because so much of the opioid conversations about rural Appalachia or kind of middle white America, which has certainly been hit extremely hard with this. Yeah. But what's fascinating is this is hitting everyone everywhere. Places like Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore hundreds of deaths a year, right? There are more people there. So yeah, they're, so they're getting more deaths than a New Hampshire or the places that we're talking about this because-
2: So even suburban, upper middle class, I mean- Yes,
0: especially yeah. because so many of these folks are getting hooked on their pain. You know, these are in fact the type of people who can afford a, a pain drug prescription. They get a basketball injury or a work injury, yeah. go into the pain doctor where, you know, a poor person might not ever go to the pain doctor for tweaking their back. But your, you know, suburban folks, in fact, there are even stories of the doctors who give these out Getting hooked themselves, and so we know cases of, of doctors who got hooked giving Ooh. out fraudulent prescriptions, yeah. basically themselves, and then end up becoming heroin users um, because of it. So it's just, it's been brutal. It's you, you know the Donald Trump's task force requested this to be issued basically as a national emergency. Um, I've ha- I've talked to you know, but
2: he didn't declare it as a national emergency. did No, he? I don't
0: believe he has
2: yet. I think there's been conversation. You no, know, initially about what, he did not. Yes. But I, and, and I don't know that it – I don't
0: think he has sense. And it's it, it, it's something that we've got to kind of – all of us need to address because this – I remember I talked to uh, the guy who runs the major drug task force in Cleveland, which is my hometown initially. And he, um, he's he been there since the mid-'80s with the the, top, the Fed's top drug guy. And he goes, this is worse than crack – this is worse than anything I've ever seen. Mm. We've got uh, uh, folks in Philadelphia who, who are comparing this – to World War One, World War Two level flu breakouts and pandemics, right? They're, you know they're saying this is even this is worse than AIDS. This is worse than, the number of people so suddenly getting hooked and being killed by this fentanyl. It's it's unreal.
2: God, you know, it's just stunning that this could happen, uh, and I don't know what we're doing about it, right? It's just, so I, far, I don't either. No, and it's, so far, and it's like tough. far like nothing. Um, Wes. Thanks so much for coming in today. At yeah, Thanks for your good work all across the board here. Right. Uh, John uh, West, one of the best reporters. John Nichols, one of the best progressive voices in this country, joins us next as a friend of Bill. This is The Bill Press Show. Here they go. Fox News got the latest on Donald Trump. Yep, this is a Fox News poll, ladies and gentlemen. According to the Fox News poll, 56% of Americans, Republicans and Democrats, say that Donald Trump is tearing this country apart. Take it from Fox News. Hello, everybody. Good to see you today. It is Thursday, August 31, last day of August uh, 2017. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us as we boom out to you from our nation's capital, joining you anywhere in this great uh, land of ours with all the news of the day, and uh, joining us in studio as a friend of Bill for this uh, next hour, uh, one of the strongest progressive voices uh, in the country. You uh, see him uh, often on uh, cable television, and you read him in The Nation uh, magazine and other publications, and... Uh, he he. I, I don't know. I'm a little jealous because he he's able to pound out more books than I am. We're both sort of in a race here, but he's winning the race. His latest is Horsemen of the Trump Trumpocalypse. You did it. I got it. <laughs> it is a, it is a challenge, and it is a great look at all the people around Donald Trump. John, it's so good to see you. It's an honor to be with you from the great state of Wisconsin. That's, it, it has been great, historically.
6: <laughs> <laughs> There's still a residual greatness oh no, I, there. I love Wisconsin with all my heart and all my soul. Uh, but I do write in this book about people like Paul Ryan, and so I have to acknowledge That's we don't always get things right. Yeah, but you yeah. got to balance him with with uh, Mark Pocan.
4: You betcha. Is Scott Walker in the book? Scott
6: Walker is mentioned, of course, but, of course, he, he was... Uh, <laughs>
2: horrifically
6: defeated, for loser. Horrifically
2: <laughs> defeated and overlooked for any job in the uh,
6: well. Uh, yeah, I would be careful. One of the things oh, that I emphasize yeah. in this book is that um, uh-huh. Donald Trump it, he has a you know he's got a, he, a lot of moving pieces in his game, oh. and so people will come and leave his administration. Yeah. You'll yeah. see people arrive, but the core thing that I emphasize in this book is Donald Trump's given power to a lot of people who should not have
2: power. Right. Uh, and that's what we're going to get into with uh, John Nichols here, and with you. Your comments always welcome again at BP Show. But first, this is Jamie full for the court headlines here.
4: Just a couple of other stories for you on this Thursday morning. We begin with Spicy Sean Spicer. Oh,
2: Spicy! Yes.
4: Today is his last day. Today is Sean Whoa. Spicer's last official day in the White House.
2: Yeah, I mean, what's he been doing? Hanging around, getting a paycheck ever well, since he was fired. But, and is Priebus really gone? Right? Oh, I don't know.
4: That's the weird part. They don't
6: actually leave. No, no,
2: right. I
4: hadn't thought about that either. Uh, It it has been reported by CNN that Sean Spicer's White House colleagues will be throwing him a farewell party Thursday night. Uh, At the White House? At the White House. Uh, Hopefully, Sean will be able to make use of that uh, mini fridge that he stole a couple months back. (laughs) (laughs) Put some uh, bottles of champagne in there. Uh, 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 He can tell
2: stories stories about uh, the. uh, The visit with the Pope.
4: That's right. So, uh, yeah, Sean did finally get to meet the Pope a couple of days ago, uh, but uh, other than that, he hasn't been doing much. We'll wait and see what Sean Spicer's next move after the White House may be. To Sicily we go, where researchers have found traces of a 6,000-year-old wine Hmm. on ancient pottery. They found it in a cave in Sicily, and that means... Folks may have been starting to drink wine earlier than we originally thought. Uh, the, uh, right. Between 1300 and 1100 B.C. was the original time frame hmm. uh, that w- we thought wine production began in that region in the Middle Bronze Age. But now, with the traces of uh, tartaric acid and sodium salt on the wine, could be about uh, 6,000 years ago now. So uh, well, People
2: were smarter than we thought. People were smarter than
5: yeah. we
4: thought. A quick update on the fundraising in Houston. Uh, Houston Tex- Texans player J.J. Watt uh, has been challenging celebrities and regular folks alike <laughs> to get $10 million contributed to a fund he has going. He's at $8.5 million right now. Good for J.J. Watt. That's huge. A great, great step up. Uh, to do. The Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans were scheduled to play a preseason game tonight. It was originally supposed to be in Houston. They then moved it to Arlington, Texas, where the Cowboys play. However, the Texans now have a chance to go home early, so that game has been canceled.
2: All right. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, John Nichols here, horseman of the Trumpocalypse.
3: On your radio, on TV,
2: and online, this is The Bill Press Show. The United States of America. No, it's the divided states of America under Donald Trump. Uh, that's, that's the showing in the latest Fox News poll. Yes, Fox News poll. This is not Huffington Post. This is not Politico. This is not the Bill Press Show. This is Fox News saying 56% of the American people say that Donald Trump is tearing this country apart. Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, the Bill Press Show on a Thursday, August thirty-one. As we boom out to you from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day and a great person to help us through it, John Nichols, the national affairs correspondent for the nation, uh, author of uh, many great books, the latest, uh, Horseman of the Trumpocalypse, John Nichols, great to see you. I'm honored to be with you. And I, you know, when I wrote this book,
6: I did not recognize that the biggest challenge would be pronouncing Trumpocalypse Uh, But I have been, it's been a test for hosts around the country. I'm sure. sure
2: (laughs) Some get it, um, but I think you have. But I don't believe you for a second. I think, you you know, I think you diabolically put this up. I like to test people. Exactly. But uh, I also want people
6: to, I I really want people to take this concept of a Trumpocalypse in. Yeah. And to understand that, uh, you know, if if we really look at, at this, Donald Trump's not capable of doing it. Donald Trump may be capable of giving us an apocalypse, and that's something we always have to talk about and be afraid of. But a Trump apocalypse would be the the whole of this agenda, the whole of this thing sweeping over our country and remaking our country in ways we would never understand it or recognize it. And that can only happen if we stop paying attention to all the people he has put in positions of power
2: in government. Right. So I want to – looking through the book, and I, I kind of broke people down in, in the categories, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because some of them are really, really dangerous. Some mm-hmm. of them we know about. Some of them we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Some of them have come and maybe gone. We're not sure. The, I would I, be very uh,
6: careful about if you – and I right. write about this in the book. If you know Donald Trump? you never really leave Donald Trump right? it's sort of like
2: joining an organization You never that you never All right. leave All right. so uh, I was walking uh, down beyond the Capitol uh, out to lunch yesterday and I walked it was, I decided it was a beautiful day I was going to walk so mm-hmm. uh, this this gets relevant here I'm not just chatting no I'm liking walking on a beautiful so day. I'm walking down East Capitol and I ran to a friend of mine and she said where are you going are you going around the corner to see Steve Bannon and I said what and she said yeah he lives right over there and he comes in our oh, bookstore all the time, so he does live in the neighborhood now. Steve Bannon, is he gone or is he not gone? He's not gone. Sebastian Gorka, is he gone or is he not gone? He was always gone. <laughs> ah, okay, <laughs> there's a difference. Let's talk about Bannon. He's yeah. is he still part of the?
6: Yeah, I, I, this is the thing to understand about the Steve Bannon or whatever. Yeah, uh, I read a lot of him. About and him he's in the a book. dangerous guy, isn't he? He's a smart man. Yes, and that's what makes him dangerous. Um, two things I always say. Uh, When Donald Trump walks into a room with the other people in his administration, he is often one of the smartest people in the room because he has empowered a lot of people who really aren't that capable. Uh, You look at his secretary of education, for instance. Uh Um, Yeah. By the same token. Or secretary of housing. As long as Bannon's in the room, Bannon's the smartest man in the room. Hmm. He reads. You you mentioned the bookstore. Yeah. This guy reads obsessively. You give him a topic. You say, hey, you're going to be taking this issue on. You'll see him the next day with a pile of books under his arm, and he'll have been up all night you know, studying. This is a man who has gotten where he's gotten with extreme opinions. I mean, way out on the fringe, but has yet gotten you know, into positions of power, into positions of influence, because he really works it. He was a success on Wall Street. He was a success in Hollywood. He has been a success in politics. Could he turn on Donald Trump? I don't think so, because I think he, you know, he embraced that term chief strategist. He loves that term. Mm. That's what he was in the campaign. That's what he <laughs> was in the White House. That's what he, I think, in many ways still is. And and so I'll say two things about him that I think are hopefully important. Number one, he really it does see himself as a strategist. After Charlottesville, a smart strategist would do exactly what Steve Bannon did, which is step out, give everybody a chance to say, oh, the administration has mm-hmm. cleansed itself. It has changed But then step into a position where you'll be heavily financed by the Mercers, some billionaires who have backed him and and backed the president, um, to pressure the administration to be something, to to fit into a certain mold. In that context, you don't necessarily turn on Trump. But what you do turn on is people who you think might pull Trump Mm -hmm. away from a certain direction. I think Bannon's role from here on out will be to create immense pressure on people in Congress to air toward the more extreme parts of the Trump agenda to shore up Trump in a number of ways. He may criticize the president. He may actually go at odds with him. But I, I, I really emphasize that, that those who think that, and that's how I've written the book, you, know, you don't have to be in the administration to be a part of this. Uh, the Mercers aren't in the administration, but boy, they're a part of this. Uh, you know, Paul Ryan's not in the administration, yet he has empowered this man at every turn. Uh, and so when we start to understand how this, this works— then you get a better sense of where power really lies. And I will tell you, I, I came away from writing this book, understand. I don't think I understand it perfectly, but understanding a lot more about Steve Bannon. And I can tell you that Steve Bannon will continue to be a presence and he will shape the next Trump. Mm. And that's a big deal.
2: That is a big deal, yeah. right. Uh, when I look at the um, at the President's Cabinet, uh, there's a mix of people there. I mean, I think there are a couple of clowns. Rick Perry, I would put in that category. Yeah, just to emphasize, we live in a time where our Secretary of Energy, the guy
6: who handles nuclear waste, is a guy who wanted to deliver, wanted to eliminate the department he heads, but couldn't remember that.
2: <laughs> right. That sums up. That sums up Rick Perry. Okay.
6: Yeah. Ben Carson. Ben in Carson housing. didn't want the job. He, I write yeah. about this in the book. He, his yeah. people sent signals he didn't want it. Um, and I think there's a reason why they wanted him, and that is that public housing is one of the great treasures of America. It isn't always perfect, sometimes poorly run. It's run by housing administrations around the country. Those administrations rely on federal funding and federal rules and federal structures. If you've got somebody in charge of HUD who is willing to barter off public f- housing, who's willing to uh, slow the federal money down, Create crises at the housing authorities and then create pressure for them to sell property off to developers. Um, You have delivered for a lot of Donald Trump's friends in profound ways.
2: Right, exactly. So he's out to undermine the very purpose of the agency that he's heading, as is Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education. She's the hero of the book. Whose mission seems (laughs) to be. What now, John? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Her mission uh, is. Her mission seems to be to destroy public education and. Uh, Public universities, right? Yeah, she's right now going. They're renewing
6: for-profit universities like Trump University. It's
2: amazing. They have no shame. But Betsy DeVos
6: is Trump University was such a huge what a success. Yeah, (laughs) the courts have reminded us. But um, no, yeah, Betsy DeVos is a central (laughs) figure in the book. It begins. The book begins with Betsy DeVos's confirmation hearing. And which I think is one of the most amazing things ever to happen in the history of America. And politics. one
4: of the most contested from Democrats. Right. And Republicans, by the way. Sure. Yes. Republicans. Yes. They had to bring Pence she in to get her know. in the job. Yeah.
6: Right. But literally, she disqualified herself. Now, the weird thing was Perry, who is, mm-hmm. you know, can't remember what job he wants, but at least Perry was, was charming enough to get through his hearing functionally and he joked about himself. Yeah. Betsy DeVos was so aware of her lack of preparation for this, it was painful. Maggie Hassan from uh, up in New Hampshire asked profound questions, and it was clear that DeVos didn't know the moving parts, you know, what was in and what was out of the agencies she wanted to run, what was federal, what was state. But then the the most profound question came from Bernie Sanders, a question that sums up a huge amount of this circle of people that, that Trump has brought in. He looked her in the eye and he said, Ms. DeVos— it, do you think you'd be here if your family hadn't given more than two hundred million dollars to yeah, Republican right. candidates? Yeah. And instead of her saying, "Of course I would be, sir. I'm an expert in education. I've served on my school board. I've served on a, which she's never done, by the way. She's never been on a school board or anything like that." She said, "Well, I think probably even <laughs> she could not muster a defense for herself as a nominee." So she's a, it's a big deal that she's right. there and a dangerous thing. Okay.
2: But it, it, it is dangerous. But then there are those that I think are the. Uh, this is my take, sure. right? Uh, and you you talk about them here too, uh, that I think are the most dangerous members of the cabinet, and they are Scott Pruitt at EPA, mm-hmm. and Jeff Sessions at at uh, totally right. Justice. Am yeah, I right? I well, I would also in, in terms include of DeVos, taking, and I would right, include okay. Mulvaney. Uh, oh, Mulvaney, yeah, yeah who's yeah, very thank you, thank nefarious you. figure. On, but those two, Pruitt and Sessions. They have taken the president's agenda and, been, and their own agenda, and they are running with it. Yeah, let me, let me suggest something. Right. Uh, they Donald, may not be getting anything done in Congress, but those guys a lot are doing done where a lot at. of damage. Yeah.
6: And so one thing that I, that I try to suggest in this book is that we've allowed not just the presidency to become imperial, but the, the administration to become imperial. We, uh, George Washington uh, had a cabinet of four people. And along, and his and his vice president, so maybe five. Um, and and what's significant about it is we still remember him. We make we do plays about him on Broadway, Hamilton, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we're talk mm-hmm. about Jefferson and these folks. Um, now, uh, Trump actually struggles to remember who's in what position. There was there are points where I write about in the book where he's like introducing people mm-hmm. and he's forgetting which department and stuff like that. It's so big, but as I, Ronald Reagan did, as we well yes, yes. But these departments are huge. Incredibly yeah, powerful, yeah, and yeah. they have huge amounts of in administrative power. It is the equivalent of executive <laughs> orders um, at, at the departmental level. So, what is Jeff Sessions doing? First off, Jeff Sessions has a position of power um, of his own. That's why he hasn't been pushed out despite his rumbling with Trump. He is systematically making the Department of Justice the Department of Injustice. We are reversing, as a country, where we've stood on voting rights and on civil rights issues and a host of Sentencing, issues. Sentencing. Yes. Criminal justice
2: reform. Drug, drug, drug reform. A, right. uh,
6: drug law reform. Things where we really had made progress. This guy is, I mean, he is he is more extreme than the president. Um, he's been empowered by the president, but now he is pushing it even further. So a, a terrible, terrible player there, and a dangerous player because of his his uh, incredible bigotries as regards Uh, immigrants as regards, you know, dissenters as regards, you know, so many people in this country, he's a very bad player and he ought to be impeached because, and you can impeach members of the cabinet because he lied to uh, his confirmation hearing, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, bad player all over the place. But I actually like to focus on Pruitt because Uh, Pruitt, do you know what Pruitt did just in the last couple of days? We should all pause and be conscious. We're speaking in, in a moment of national crisis the fourth largest city in the United States, is underwater. One of the things we're quickly learning is that that water's gotten into refinery areas and industrial areas and is causing an environmental crisis, which may make people sick 20, 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. The EPA should be full-on, and it should be embracing all science and all insight, everything we can to address this crisis in the immediate time, but also to make sure that crises like this never occur again. And yet, in this very week, Scott Pruitt and the EPA have taken time out to criticize scientists and journalists who bring up climate change. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Right. Uh, It's their mission critical to them. It is so vital to fight these battles and and to fight from their corner where, like, nobody else stands. right? Right. This extreme position that they have literally attacked. Pruitt has attacked and criticized the press for talking to scientists about whether maybe this storm was bigger and more intense, more epic, because of the warming of our waters, because of the warming of our
2: planet. They only want to focus on the first part of the sentence, which is, as Donald Trump says, this is an epic storm. We've never seen anything like it. Everybody is saying that, but he doesn't say, yeah, but this is the third 500-year storm in three years, right? And, And there's a reason why this is... The worst ever day at the continental United States because climate change. Well, in Bangladesh. Worst ever. And, and we've never done anything about India, it.
6: India, places around the world. And and here's what climate scientists say. I just did a piece for The Nation on this, extending <laughs> from the book. Um, here's what climate scientists say they're, they're very careful. These are cautious people. They say climate change doesn't cause hurricanes, but climate change changes the circumstances of hurricanes, it makes them more intense. The water is warmer. Things slow yep. down in some ways, and so you get storm surges and flooding. And remember, I don't like hurricanes all that much, but what I really don't like is a storm surge and flooding. And these are connections that are easily made. One other thing, one of the most dangerous people in this administration, Elaine Chao over at Transportation.
2: Really? Really yeah. dangerous. She's, a, she's um, a give it away yeah, to business. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put her on that list, but I, I, I will. She's the lead us. of
6: my chapter on privatizers and on people who want to give it away to the corporate side. But do you know what you know why Elaine Chao was standing behind Donald Trump at the press conference about Charlottesville?
2: Well, because she had to hold up that chart. Yeah. Was it wasn't as a prop, it, right? it
6: wasn't a press conference about Charlottesville. It was a called suppose about infrastructure. Yeah. And yeah. you know what they were doing that day? They were overturning Barack Obama's quote and this is the name of the Federal Flood Risk Management Standard. They overturned it two weeks ago. The standard said uh, God, that because we are having bigger storm surges, a bit more flooding, we need to make sure that investments in infrastructure are climate resilient, i.e. what we build coming out of this stuff is, is strong enough to, to handle they the change. They overturned it two weeks ago.
4: But yeah. the, the only thing that we remember from that press conference is this, There's of course. blame
5: on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and yeah. you don't have any doubt about it either. Yeah. And you know what?
6: We had a duty, all of us, you, me, everybody, to cover what Trump did there. No question. When he Absol- talked about yeah. what Charlottesville—this is Absolutely. profound, and it's first order. But we got lost. have to expand the, our focus, yeah. because the fact of the matter <laughs> is that— what they did, what they are doing, and I think that's a perfect illustration of what I write about in the book, what they're doing behind the scenes or quietly, sometimes not in private, sometimes you know we should know about it, Yeah, but yeah. what they're moving no, that, is profound changes which affect your children and your grandchildren. And if we let them get away with this, we may finish the Trump presidency with much lower approval ratings than you're talking about today and say, oh, wow, what a horrible failure of a president he is. And then we step back and say, Oh, but, yeah! oh, my gosh, our country is no, profoundly... What
2: they've, what they've yeah. been able to accomplish uh, just through executive action, right, Yeah, it is profoundly dangerous. But you're right. That whole side of that news conference, and I hate to admit it myself, guilty, guilty. Well, everybody's guilty. Did Except get, for, in this get...
6: book, one thing I do is I do cite the reporters mm-hmm. who are doing a good job, and there are many of them. It's, yeah. oh, it, yeah. But they're struggling to get on the front page, right? But they're doing it. Also, the activist groups that are highlighting this. And I will give high marks to the Sierra Club. When that press conference occurred, the hmm. Sierra Club was out there screaming and yelling, saying, this is climate denial at its most dangerous. And so there are groups that are doing the yeah. work. What I say in this book is, we need to pay more attention to the reporters who are telling that second story
2: and to the activist groups that are raising the alarm. Uh, and the book, again, is "Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, uh, Nation, Nation, um, um, published by Nation Books. Uh, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America, the people around Donald Trump. Now, again, as I was reading through and broke them down, um, I put a couple of other people uh, I've I mentioned the most dangerous is I call them the cowards. Um, Steve Mnuchin and Gary Cohn. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, well, here are two uh, prominent American Jews mm-hmm. uh, standing alongside at that news conference a president who says that people who march in the streets of Charlottesville, Jews will not replace us, deserve our respect. We should listen to them. There's, There's two some sides. some very nice people very there. Very fine people. Very fine people yeah. among them. Yeah. How can they possibly stay in their job? Is tax reform, they're willing to pay the price of condoning anti-Semitism in order to get a tax cut for their buddies on Wall Street? I mean, it's disgusting. I can't get into their souls um and i don't try to
6: what i will tell you is this um there are people of many backgrounds in this administration who have accepted positions from donald trump because these positions give them immense power and they give them power to shape a country in a way they want it in a world in the way they want it that's what presidential administrations can do that's what we need to understand and the fact of the matter is in the trump administration there are two major streams there's a stream that is heavily covered, and appropriately so, and that is toward an intolerance, injustice, the things we talk about with Sessions mm-hmm. and, and some of these other folks, Bannon, Stephen Miller, who is a very oh, yeah. dangerous yeah. player. Oh, yeah. still there. And still there, yeah. Um, but then there's also, uh, frankly, the assertion of neoliberalism on steroids. And neoliberalism is the is, is combination of austerity for working people, for the great mass of us, with tax cuts for the wealthy, i.e. a redistribution of the wealth upwards, and there are many people who have come into this administration for the purpose of advancing that. And that is a passion of the elites, uh, not just in the United States, but around the world. And they are unwilling to let go of the power that I think that allows them to do that. Uh, you know, Gary Cohn made a big deal about uh, that he had written a letter of resignation. Yeah. And, of course, somehow the New York Times got <laughs> that on the front page. I wonder how that information got there. But, you see, I, I don't have a lot of regard for people who say yeah I was driven to the point of almost resigning right Not right either either. I was so upset I almost did something almost did yeah right and and all I'm saying is the guiltiest player of all in all of this is Paul Ryan
2: I was just going to get to him absolutely I just He's just right there down. on the list yeah. and I
6: will say this because you know we talk about you know, oh, no. we total, talk about other people but Paul funny. Ryan Paul Ryan no one put put Donald Trump in the White House to a greater extent than Paul Ryan it wasn't Trump it was Ryan because what Ryan does and what many of these other people do is they say but, well, you know, i really got a problem with how Trump said that. Yes, right. We're better at spinning it than he is, right? Mm-hmm. I got a problem with how he said that. Oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't even have done that. However, if he's the nominee of the party, I'll back him. If he's a pre- I'll work with him on these issues. What Paul Ryan, if above all—
2: If he'll sign my tax reform right, bill— <laughs> or,
6: or if he'll uh, let my friends on Wall Street get a hold of Medicare. Um, but what <clears throat> Paul Ryan does—and I, and I know not everybody's going to see this because we're in the studio, but I'm holding my hands up and I've got a, a circle— you know, a relatively large one. That's the circle of what's allowed in the Republican Party. What Paul Ryan has done by saying, I disagree with Donald Trump, but if he's a nominee, I'll back him. I'll work with him no matter what, no matter what happens. What some of these other people do is, I might resign. Now I'm going to stay in. They keep expanding the definition of what is acceptable in the Republican Party and in the presidency itself. And that is dangerous because if Donald Trump can say horrible, and objectionable things. If his people can do policies that are incredibly destructive, and you keep saying, "Well, that's okay,"
2: yeah. Um, and so I, my biggest shame is on Paul Ryan. Paul, well, Paul Ryan, of course, he he, his excuse for Donald Trump, Jamie. I know we have that uh, is about how, um, you know, you got to understand he's just a novice, right? He's yeah. New, uh, he's new at this job, right? Well, the president's new at this. Yeah, that's it. So, well, yeah, one of the other anything.
6: things one of the other things he said, oh. an incredible thing he said at one point. I write about I write about Ryan, about McConnell, about all these people, about Pence, which is a great pleasure to write about. Oh God. but um, yeah. and by the way, if Trump was impeached and Pence became president, that wouldn't work out very well. <laughs> no. but but I want to emphasize it's not like America would fall in love with Mike Pence. No, it's right. never going to happen. Um but one of the things I read about the book is at one point, Ryan said, He was upset with Trump because Trump had said something. And he said, you know, we just don't say it that way. Oh. And so it's like, you
4: know, what he said is horrible. It's just that we don't do it that way because we
6: learned how to
4: lie to people. Yeah. Yeah. What do you Uh, think about our buddy uh, Randy Bryce, Iron Stash, challenging Paul Ryan in Wisconsin? Yeah,
6: is somebody I've known for many years. And you know how I know He's been in studio with us. We love him. Yeah. Let me tell you how I know, know Randy Bryce. When we were at the Capitol in 2011, oh, yeah. there were many people who def- tried to defy the labor movement between public sector, we're almost at Labor yes, Day, yeah. between public sector and private sector trade unionists. They tried to say, well, sure. oh, this is only public oh, sector. Yeah. Randy Bryce, as a private sector trade unionist or somebody who works in the building trades, he was physically there saying, I am standing by my public sector teacher, firefighter, uh, nurse, yeah. comrades in this struggle for labor rights. This is a guy, whether you, whether you agree with him on everything or not, this is a guy who literally stood the test
2: of solidarity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A great guy. And this was long before he became a candidate and for anything. Very, and, and, right. and there's nobody I more think, different than Paul Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think to be fair, we have to talk about a couple of uh, cabinet members who have shown a little backbone lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rex Tillerson on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, disassociating himself from President Obama's uh, distancing himself, I guess, from uh, President Trump's. Charlottesville comments, and
4: then John. Can I tell you how many times Bill has done that? I in, know in the last I, I, couple of months. Uh, it's okay. I, 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 look,
6: I, I what I know. I know Bill Press's heart. And is. I know that if his mouth isn't always <laughs> in the right place, his
2: heart it's is just right that. Place. I want Obama to be there, or not this clown that we've got. Yeah, well, uh, so badly. And then Jim Mattis, right? Who again yesterday? Yeah, uh, on transgender, on, on, mm-hmm. on the transgender stuff, and yesterday on North Korea, said, yeah. "No, no, no. The We're going to do diplomacy." Are still the answer. Okay. We're going to do diplomacy. Those two. Uh, you've got it.
6: I give them their r- due, and, and I and I also you know note that McMaster is actually really smart. You know there are people who've come in who are really really bright. Unfortunately, I want to warn you. Rex Tillerson is systematically dismantling the Department of State. He may say some good things, yeah. but his management of the Department of State, and I've talked to a lot of State Department people. And his management oh, of the Department uh, of State is a disaster.
2: Yeah. No, all these vacancies he doesn't want to fill. Well, you know, whole all these sections that they
6: just aren't running. Yeah, uh, climate change, a whole host of issues. What he's doing <laughs> at state is indefensible. Um, it's interesting. I don't think he's necessarily doing it in, in Trump's, you know, mm-hmm. in Trump's order. It, it, he acknowledged during his confirmation hearing that he hadn't talked to Trump about most stuff, right? Which is incredible. But uh, I think he is. Uh, this is an incredibly dangerous circumstance we're in. I include Tillerson in my section on the military-industrial complex, along with Mattis, McMaster, yeah. and others. What I suggest is that what we're seeing is a, a dialing down of, of diplomacy out of the State Department as a counterbalance to Pentagon and to the president, and that ultimately strengthens the classic military-industrial complex. It is true that Mattis will indeed say talks are important right. at times and, and use his context, but I want to emphasize to you, if, if we – Dumb down and downsize the Department of State. The day that Mattis leaves and somebody else comes in, we have a, a hyper-supercharged Pentagon, M- Mulvaney and other people moving massive amounts of money to the mm-hmm. Pentagon, state getting weaker, a historic agency. This is a very dangerous imbalance that is developing. And I would suggest that our media, which you know many people, individuals doing a great job, you doing a great job, but overall, it's failing to recognize the fundamental restructuring of federal government and the imbalance that is developing. And so even people that you might compliment for something they've said or done, we do need to understand that if that imbalance comes into place, then everything that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about comes into play. And the real hero of this book is not Betsy DeVos. It's Dwight Eisenhower. He's in almost every chapter Mm. because he warned in the early 1950s, because when he was fighting the right wing of his party, he warned about a moment like this, not just in the military industrial speech, but in his cross of iron speech in which he said, mm-hmm. if you take all the money out of domestic and start moving it to the Pentagon,
2: you'll have a country that you wonder you know, what what's left to defend. Right. The message of John Nichols, uh, don't let's not just focus all the time on Donald Trump. Look at the people around him, horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, uh, one of the great horsemen of our journalistic uh, um, um Community here in Washington D.C. <laughs> uh, and another one joining us, Evan McMorris yes. Santoro uh, from Vice, joining the fun here. And ne- coming up next on the Bill Press Show, stay tuned. And and the president's values? The president speaks for himself. Chris,
3: follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash
2: The Bill Press Show. Here we go on this Thursday, August 31. Uh, Good to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show, booming out to you live from Washington, D.C. And our studio on Capitol Hill uh, with John Nichols, uh, national correspondent for The Nation, uh, in studio with us. Uh, We've been talking about his new book, Looking at the People Around uh, Donald Trump, as well as Trump himself, Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, Uh, And we're joined now by the star of uh, Vice News every night at 7.30 on uh, 7.30 Eastern on (laughs) HBO. At one time, he was nothing but a fill-in for the Bill Press Show, Evan McMorris-Santoro. It was the highlight of my career, Bill, was the (laughs) fill-in job. I've been trying to reach that pinnacle and everything else I've done since. It's so
6: sad when these people, you know, they try to recreate former glory. That's Mm. it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. Good to see you, back. Always great to be here. And, uh, you know, we miss around the table here our our good buddy uh, Peter Ogburn, uh, as we've uh, told you all, uh, emergency surgery on Mm. Sunday. But he is amazing, the doctors at the MedStar Hospital here in Washington, about how well he is doing. And every time we go in and see him, it's just like the difference between the day before is remarkable. Uh, Jamie, you were there yesterday. I wasn't able to make it yesterday. What's the latest? Yeah, Ray and I went we're- to
4: the hospital yesterday. He mm-hmm. Shortly after we left, uh, Peter was moved out of the ICU into general population of the hospital. Mm-hmm. So that's great news. I also want to mention, Bill that I brought Peter a gift. Uh, in fact, I tweeted this out yesterday on my Twitter account, at jbensonDC. Oh, 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 I made a little Photoshop oh, of uh, Peter's best friend, Alex Jones, saying, uh, Peter, I know you're a paid actor with the deep state, but please get well soon. <laughs> <Love Alex."> <laughs> <laughs> he enjoyed it quite a bit.
2: So we tweeted it out on our Twitter so account. started laughing so hard too.
6: that his tubes fell out. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: That's right. <laughs> uh, and we thank you all for your uh, uh, good wishes to uh, Peter. You can keep them coming on Twitter. Twitter. Uh, uh, at BP show, man, where do we start? I, the a so, so, little bit of breaking news that we haven't touched on this morning yet is that um, the I think some New York Times reports that Robert Mueller has uh, partnered with the New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, uh, looking at Paul Manafort. They're working together, going after Manafort on charges which reportedly include money laundering. What does this tell us about? Evan, about Mueller and about and John about this whole Russian investigation.
1: Well, if you recall, Trump's administration has always been very, very worried about the New York attorney general. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they, I mean, you know, or, or the New York legal system, period. They got in and the whole thing with Preet Bharara. they're going to keep him, <laughs> they he's gonna stay around and they fire him, you know, but they, after the saying they, were, they that they were going to keep him. I mean, look, a guy like Schneiderman is a guy that, that's used to digging into cases like the case we're dealing with with Trump and potentially real estate deals and land deals and money deals and all that kind of stuff. That's what they do up there. I mean, this is the kind of thing that this is probably, a, you know, close to a perfect storm for somebody like the Trump administration
6: and Mueller. But it
2: certainly it. shows, uh, doesn't it, that the Mueller investigation is is quickening, maybe, not just continuing? I hope, but- I
6: hope it's quickening. Mueller has a reputation for taking a lot of time, getting it right. You know, and I understand that and I respect that. By the same token, there's an awful lot of folks who are saying, "Yeah, hey, well, let's wait for Mueller. Um, it's going to be, you know, that wait's a painful one at a time when so many— difficult things are happening in the country. With that said, um, boy, who would have ever thought, I mean, really, I'm sort of shocked that this thing would start to focus on Paul Manafort. I mean, with all due respect, he is like like the lowest hanging fruit in the history of humanity. Um, There's so much there, and it's clearly there. And and so uh, there are two things happening here that I think are important. One, Mueller partnering with a state attorney general. That is an important, important thing because you realize that can take you into different uh, parts of the legal system. Uh, it it opens anywhere, things right? up. Yeah. It's a, and, and also that state attorney general's office in New York, lots of investigators. It's the top place in many ways the top place in the country for looking at uh, money laundering, securities and exchange issues. And and so I think that's really important. But there's one other aspect I'll throw in the mix here. And we have a guy from Vice, which is redefining media. Uh, no, no, in a good Thank way. You. I, yeah, yeah. This is, but, this is why I come down here. Just by the way, just to be yeah. patted on the back. <laughs> but 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 no, this is an important thing to understand. I, I write books. I've written books about media. There are places where media. Operates at an intense level where things, you know, a story, you know, splashes across the front of the tabloids. It gets really big. New York City is that kind of place. If this investigation of Trump starts to, you know, have a kind of a New York character mm. to it, if there are raids on places in New York, if there are pictures to be taken, that. That media market in New York is, is a hothouse. It, it grows flowers fast. And so I think as a, the investigation kind of moves up the road there a little bit, and at least in some of this, I, there is real potential that it I gets ironic faster. too, because
2: this is the media market in which Donald Trump...
6: Right. Well, I mean, was his own spokesperson survived. for a while and right. all the right. other, you
2: know, right. calling it yeah. anonymously. I mean, the, yeah. the
1: issue is that a lot of people have thought, have talked a lot, you know, there is a lot of impatience about this Mueller thing. But, I mean... It's an investigation. It, it, these things take time. They really do. And people have been concerned. You know, there's always been speculation. Is it really going to happen? Is it serious? Are they going to be going to be too closely, you know, too closely reined in or whatever? And, you know, we've had no indication that Mueller has slowed down on anything. And he's investigating everything that he can get his hands on. Um, and that seemed, I mean, if you want the president investigated, I think it. the early indications are the guy to do it is the guy they got. Mm-hmm,
2: right. All right. Another little bit of uh, news that just uh, broke this morning is that uh, the our new senator from uh, California, Kamala Harris, uh, has announced that she is going to co-sponsor the single-payer health and health care for all, right? Medicare mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. all by mm-hmm. our friend Bernie Sanders. What's going on here? Well, Uh, well, you know,
1: I don't want to alarm anyone who listens to this show because I know how important this is to everybody. But I think it's possible the Democrats might be getting their stuff together (laughs) just a little bit. Like, I mean, I don't want to be over alarmist here. Um, But it's actually two interesting news stories along the lines of this exact storyline the past couple of days. A friend of the show I met, Dave Weigel, had an interview with Bernie recently in which he asked Bernie if this Medicare for all thing was a litmus test for him in 2018. And Bernie said, you know, no, there are a lot of things. Things I'm going to look at when I talk about candidates and when I look at candidates to endorse and think figure out figure out what I do, I'm not going to use this particular thing as a litmus test. But I do think the party is moving in my direction on it. Um, Democrats, a lot of Democratic sort of establishment uh, officials were very relieved by that, right? Because they don't want to get stuck in this endless sort of primary cycle of you don't you know you don't count as a Democrat because you don't believe this or whatever. Um, That's their take on it. But on the other hand, Bernie seems to be right because you have someone like a mainstream. Democrat like Kamala Harris, who sort of – I mean, she plays in both fields. She's, she, yeah. you know, she's a progressive, yeah. but also she has some mainstream credibility uh, and also obviously a top-tier person for the 2020 presidential race. Um, and she obviously does not consider it uh, risky to sign on to this and maybe – worthwhile for her in the future of a Democratic presidential primary. So it's it's quite interesting because it seems like I think if you put those two stories together of Bernie sort of going a little bit in the direction of the DNC type Democrat and saying, look, I'm not going to say that if you're, you know, say, Claire McCaskill in Missouri and you can't sign on or you don't feel like you can sign on to this, that you're a horrible person. Um, Meanwhile, a lot of Democrats signing on it, it. It feels like some cohesion for the Democratic Party in a way that we haven't seen since
2: the election. And John, you Mm -hmm. know, John Conyers has sponsored this in the House uh, for about 50 years, yeah. For about 50 years. And And this year, there are more uh, Democrats in the House that have signed on than ever before. So something's happening here, right? I'm going to
6: say something that's heretical. Yeah, it doesn't fit in here.
2: It might possibly be because this
6: is a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, right. and, and, I, and, I, and I hate doing that I hate taking it out of the political punditry you know, but, but here's the bottom line we're 30 years into a globalization revolution that is changing everything about how we relate to the rest of the world including our businesses we're 20 years into a digital revolution that is changing everything about how we communicate and how we do a lot of business, how we operate we're 10 years into an automation revolution that ultimately is going to change everything about how we work at the end of all of this where we end up is that many of us will not have jobs that provide health benefits and so we are moving toward an economy, not all of it, but a hard, large part of it, growing part of it, especially for younger people, where we're going to have to organize health care differently. It is simply logical to have a Medicare for all program. And I think this is becoming so practical and so real that younger political figures like Kamala Harris look at these this stuff. You don't have to study a lot of, of data to recognize where we're headed. And so I, I think that... It, Many people are saying, oh, wow, she's moving to the left or she's making a political positioning. There may be some elements of that, but there is also – there's not really another answer. And uh, I would also give some credit, some shout-out here to the California Nurses Association, National Nurses United. They have made single-payer and Medicare for All a much bigger issue in California where a lot of their membership is based than in any place else in the country. There's Mm -hmm. no place else in the country where the issue is so – Front and center. Oh, yeah, and no, totally. right. I don't necessarily think it's positioning. I think it's about. No,
1: I, I understand. I, I, I mean, right after the health care vote failed in the House, I went to a press conference on Capitol Hill that Nancy Pelosi was giving. Raised my hand. She called me and I said, "You know, so now that this health care bill has failed in the, you know, in the in, in the House, shouldn't the Democrats just be for single payer now?" Mm-hmm. And her answer was like, "Hey, you know, essentially, Sonny, I have been for single—I've I- been fighting for things like single payer since before you were born," um, <laughs> which and- was
6: actually, you know, which true,
1: yeah. true, and uh, <laughs> true. I mean, Nancy Pelosi's bona fides and something like that are not in question. And but, <laughs> but she said, you know, look, we don't have the, you know, this is not a thing. It's feasible to vote for. It's not. It's, it's not. A, it's not a thing for us to go running around talking about because it's just it, we don't have the votes to do it, right? But as the conversation has moved in a way, people like Bernie, his supporters, mm-hmm. have come out there and been more for this and done things like shown up with donations and shown up with votes and shown up at rallies. This is exactly how the political process works, is that now someone like Kamala Harris, who there is, not a, there is definitely a time in which, whether or not you want to have it or not, it's it's a very scary proposition to say you're going to run in sort of on your own as somebody says you're a socialist for socialist medicine, and now you feel like you can say it. I mean, and, and, and so even someone That's like Nancy cute. Pelosi, who I think— it- you know, who, 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 who sort of came down hard on me. What she was actually saying was, like, look, if people show up with the support for this thing, I'm not going to stand in their way. So, so John,
2: yeah. you, you and I were two of the earliest people to talk to Bernie Sanders about running for president. Yes, so it might be a good idea. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in fact, I just good interviewed good. Bernie about a week
6: ago at great length on all these things. Uh, for for a, 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 my next book. Uh, which is about uh, the future of the Democratic Party.
2: We always have to be working on the next book. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us. Right.
1: <laughs> How
6: long did you take <laughs>
2: to write that one? Can I, uh, uh, another two months? Uh, this, is, uh, this is incredible that you no, wrote a book I, so I, fast. I,
6: no, I don't write them that fast. I, just, I was actually working on this some last year. All right. No, but, that's an um, important
2: topic. But, but, but anyways, let me make, go my, ahead. But yes. my, que- so my question, doesn't this, this discussion we're having, uh, just show what an enormous impact Bernie Sanders has had, is having, will have on the Democratic Party? Look. In every, in every campaign, there's a dynamic
6: figure, somebody who who defines that campaign. It's often not the person who wins. Uh, and, and if you go back, you know, some people like cool. talked about – like Perot talked about deficits. He didn't win, but, boy, he had a profound impact, blah, blah, blah. And so Bernie Sanders' impact is real. It's lingering. It is in part rooted in the fact that he is incredibly well-liked out there in America, in rural areas where the Democratic Party had a real struggle – um, he's quite popular among young people. Uh, he remains immensely popular. When he goes some places, he draws a crowd, a big crowd. Yeah, and so that's a part of it. But I would also suggest that Donald Trump is a part of this. And the fact of the matter is that uh, the the most damning thing you can say about the Democratic Party is they lost to Donald Trump. That's a damning thing. And admittedly, they got three million more votes, but we got a, a messed up system, and so Trump's president. But it, the the thing is, what I've been arguing for a long time is the Democratic Party has got to counter Trump not by saying, Oh, we hate Trump or we you know he's a bad guy and stuff like that. We've got to look at a the whole of his administration by my book, blah, blah, blah. But um, <laughs> But we also, we, so good. we also have to we also have to or I shouldn't say we the Democratic Party has to become a smart party. You counter dumb with smart. And smart is saying, yeah. Medicare for all is a little complicated. Let us explain this to you. Let us take the time to do this. We know they're going to tell us it's going to cost, you know, a gazillion dollars and they'll do all that. We want to lead you in a conversation that takes you someplace. The most successful Democratic president in the history of the country was Franklin Roosevelt. You go back and read Roosevelt's speeches, he would launch an initiative and he would talk it to death. He would explain it and explain it and explain it until people could make the case for it themselves. They understood the whole of it. That's how we got Social Security. And what I'm suggesting to you is this is what Bernie Sanders has done on, on single-payer mm-hmm. Medicare for All. And if the Democratic Party becomes the smart party that says, we're, yeah, we know this is controversial, but we're for this and here's why. I think single-payer becomes not something that's, you know, off the table or far in the future. It actually becomes, you know, like a central, not a litmus test for maybe in a primary, but frankly, a litmus test in November.
2: So uh, Evan, uh, I remember you were covering. We talked a lot at the time. Uh, the uh, Bernie's campaign. Uh, yeah. The little gathering I had uh, in my living room for national reporters, uh, with at Bernie's request. That's correct. You were there. I was. Uh, I was yelled at a little bit. Uh, <laughs> as I was really? Many times
1: in that campaign. <laughs>
4: yeah, Bernie's just
1: quick. You know, he's a irascible person.
4: <laughs> oh, I thought you meant Bill was yelling at you. Oh no. Oh. I mean that's normal too. No, 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 so. no. Bill,
1: Bill, Bill, Bill had a lovely
2: spread. We hung out. It was, it was delightful time. Well, uh, yeah. And we learned a lot. We did. Right. We absolutely did. Yeah. But my – so my question is, so is Bernie the man who brings this to the table or is Bernie the man who carries it across the finish line this time? Well, that's a great question.
1: Um, there are a lot of people who are – really feel like Bernie Sanders should run for president again um, and they really want him to. And, you know, he hasn't really said what he wants to do. Um I'll you one thing. He is working harder today than anybody else.
6: There's no energy deficit there.
1: None. He will be turning 79 in the next election year, though. Yeah, but how old are you? I I, I am 84. See, that's old. what I'm saying. I'm, I'm you know? And Look how good you look no, no. I'm at your age. I'm no, look I'm how good you look at 84. Uh, well, no, I mean, look. It, regardless, <laughs> I don't think it. I, I actually don't think it. I actually don't think it it, it. it completely matters. I mean, I do think. I mean, you know, we have. There's going to be a hard slog ahead until t- until 2020. There's a lot of Democrats who want to run. There's a lot of conversations to John be Harris had. We still them, we still have very difficult conversations to have about so-called identity politics that some Democrats don't want to talk about. Many Democrats do. A lot of other issues that we have to talk about in Democratic Party will take a long time to get to when it comes to that primary. However, I do think that when it comes to this particular issue of health care and Medicare for all, this has become a, um, very, a much easier to explain concept that it does seem to be... Whether or not he's the guy that sort of signs the bill in the end, obviously the impact of it is sort of growing and spreading around that that someone like, like Kamala Harris, who definitely wants to take that kind of mainstream Repub- uh, Democratic mantle as well as the progressive
2: mantle in the 2020 election, is going to put herself on the, on the list but, for that. But you Dem- didn't answer the question, yeah, which is if Bernie is – is Bernie the nominee or the candidate? John, the, is he?
6: He can be. But the answer to the question is the Democratic Party will nominate the person – Who most effectively, in the eyes of the great mass of Democrats, uh, who most effectively communicates that they can not only beat Donald Trump if he is still president uh, or to beat President Pence or whatever, um, but also who can can really provide an alternative, can make this a different governance. And so somebody who's running soft, somebody who's running centrist uh, will be rejected. Right off the bat, that puts Bernie in a, a much stronger position than a lot of contenders doesn 't make him the only one, but it puts him in a stronger position but i 've talked to him about it, and, and I 'm not talking out of school. Uh, he has said that uh, he' going to talk he 's not going to go launch anything until after uh, next year because he 's running for re-election in Vermont and one thing if you know Bernie Sanders, there's a reason why he 's such a successful political figure in Vermont' It's because he puts Vermont first he takes it seriously, and so this the conversation is not complete in any sense until after november of 2018 yeah. at that point well, at that point um i think there will be an assessment but uh it, it's it's going to be one much like his assessment in 2014 and 15 and you remember he took a year to figure out how to do it and so uh, i i think people who are rushing this thing make a mistake uh could he be the nominee yes uh, will he choose to be the nominee? That's that's up in the air. Does someone like him have to be the nominee? Absolutely, because at, the nominee has to be somebody who is not simply resisting. That's essential, but who is also projecting? Who's <laughs> who would going forward? Who you say
1: is, the, is like the most like him of the people that we talk about now? Oh, I think I just pulled my mic. Oh off. no, no,
4: no! You just, right, there yeah, you go. You're, you're... Um,
6: who's most like him? Yeah. Uh, well, certainly Jeff Merkley. Okay. and Merkley, I, I think some people think Merkley might be considering a possible run if Sanders right. doesn't uh, certainly Merkley's done a better job than most senators of connecting his resistance on the floor of the Senate with movements outside. Uh, I would also suggest to you that there are there are people who are not in the Senate, and this is we seem to be very much locked into the Senate as, right. as who's going to run and who's a mm-hmm. possible. There's some mayors around the country um, who you know potentially could jump up and and jump into that position because mayors have been so effective at opposing Trump on climate change, sanctuary, things like that. So a mayor like a mayor of L.A., right? Uh, I'm not saying he is exactly like Bernie. You don't have to be the irascible guy from Vermont, right? But you have to communicate that if you are the president of the United States, not if you're the nominee, because that's not how people think. If you are the president of the United States, you A, replace Trump and Trumpism, but b, you want to have as visionary a presidency as a Franklin Roosevelt, or at least a John you, Kennedy:
2: You did not mention Elizabeth
6: Warren she could be and I'm sorry I didn't because she's done she's acquitted herself well, and she's a potential candidate. She's not a kid either no, um, no, 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 no. Right. and and so people younger are, than Bernie people but. are are well younger than this guy, right, and so people <laughs> are people are wrestling with that question of should it be a young person, and one of the things I will suggest to you I, is. John Kennedy was not a perfect president in many ways. But the genius of John Kennedy's campaign and the very difficult campaign of 1960, which many people thought he wasn't supposed to win, was that he projected a sense of where you would go in the future. It wasn't just replacing somebody and beating a party that was in, you know, moving to the right. And so I would love to see somebody under 50. And frankly, I will not casually, I'm not be casual about mentioning the names of uh, members of Congress, of the House like Mark Pocan, an openly gay man, Keith Ellison, first Muslim in Congress. Uh, we've put so many people outside the range of who we might see as a possible presidential candidate. I'd like to bring some of them in. And I don't mind a five-way primary, by the way. We're going to need to hold
1: the debate in, like, the, the oh. Staples Center. No, no, no. Just no, fill I, it with the stage. I, is going to have five rows on it.
2: No, I've said that already several <laughs> times. I think this, this year the Democrats are going to have to have the JV debate. And the varsity They debates. better not. They better not.
6: Because, that, because yeah, Reince no. Priebus' incompetent management of the process oh, and anti-democratic totally. oh, management oh yeah. of the process yeah.
2: actually fostered Trump and Trumpism. By the way, I've got to say on the age thing, I think Bernie buried the age issue. In, in his last campaign,
1: I I don't mean that like I mean I don't mean that to get. I it's mean, an eighty-four-year-old. Candidates no. were old
2: in the last uh, in right. the last election, um, especially
1: Bobby I, Jindal. That's right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean the main, you know, hill, between Hillary yeah. and, and 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 Bernie and, and Trump. So I don't I don't mean to say that specifically a thing. I'm just saying it's a it's a factor that you would have to consider. I mean, you all know, right.
2: that's old. All right. Now I want to. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Apologies. All right. I, I am. I, I'm, going, I'm going so to bad. be the skunk at the lawn party. Uh huh. And I'm going to tell you
6: that just people who aren't in the room, you are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to raise an issue that nobody wants to talk about. Um, A a lot of people are skirting here, Uh, and that is uh, how excited are you about the fact that Hillary Clinton is out with a new book and a uh, 12-city speaking tour, uh, and charging as much as $1,200 to come in and hear her talk about how she lost to Donald Trump.
1: Well, at is least we'll get the transcript of what she says
2: because it's going to be de- open for him. Is this good for the Democratic Party?
1: You know, look, there has been a lot. Uh, you know, this has been a very fascinating moment to cover as a reporter because you know, on the one hand, uh, John is right. I mean, this is a woman who won more votes, right? Every message of mistake that she made, every wrong thing that she did, every place she didn't go, everything she didn't do, it resulted in her getting three million more votes than the guy who won the election. So this is a very difficult mm-hmm. conversation to sort of throw her um, sort of on the wayside, like just yeah. whatever. She's old news. It's very difficult to do that because she is the only person who's gotten more votes than Donald Trump who lives in the in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there has been some concerns sometimes where, where, where how she's talked about the election in a way that, has, that, that that I feel like the obligation of someone like her and someone who worked in her campaign is to really talk a lot about exactly what it is that went wrong, exactly what it is okay. that that, that, where that things had to be done the other way. All right. I got just going to interrupt
2: just to give Sorry, John a simple, last word. I'm not,
6: I'm not in disagreement here. Bottom line is I've talked to some bookstore owners who are, are organizing some of these events. Uh, they don't have phones that are fast enough to sell them out. They're selling well, out in like three oh minutes. Oh, I know. And she, these are going to be packed events. There's going to be cheering crowds. Um, and the, the fact of the matter is if you've watched some of Hillary Clinton's interviews of late she's been very unleashed very relaxed very I mean she actually says things that make news um, and so she has a chance here to I hope she doesn't talk a lot about I mean I hope she says yeah we lost to Trump somehow and that was horrible right and, we made, and mistakes were made but I really hope she talks about the moment and, and if coming out of that people like her more and are, are impressed that's fine uh, you know, it's all due respect. Lo- people who lose presidencies, ought to go out and keep talking. It's fine. I, I'm still waiting. Maybe. You know, I was I was maybe. interviewing McGovern 20 years after he ran for president. Maybe. Every time he came around,
2: <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe she'll come out and support the Medicare for All bill. She should. She should. Yeah. Hey, you guys, great. Evan McMurrison, great to see you. John we'll Nichols,
5: by the book. This is the calculus. Bill
3: Press Show.